Welcome to Engineering Success. I'm your host, Jamie Hutton, and in each episode we'll bring you an influential and inspiring guest from the world of engineering, science, technology and mathematics. Sharing fascinating insights into their career journeys, we'll explore the challenges they face, how they keep motivated and what the future holds for them. Speaking candidly about the engineering and other STEM-related industries, we'll find out what's made these successful people successful. This is Engineering Success. Welcome to episode number 35 of Engineering Success with our very special guest, Florian Fideyong Ido. Florian is a consultant at BMNT, currently working on the Royal Navy contract, helping them to correctly identify and translate operational problem areas. She has a background in manufacturing engineering and public policy, having worked in a manufacturing production environment, a public policy think tank and the charity sector. Prior to joining BMNT, Florian was a departmental head in a public policy think tank as the head of the industry technology and innovation team. She has extensive experience working with civil servants, parliamentarians, private and public sector stakeholders across manufacturing, data analysts and innovation policy translating and publishing challenges into accountable recommendations for government. As a manufacturing engineer for a major pharmaceutical company, she contributed to a number of lean and innovation-led programmes that were adopted to improve production performance. Florian is a member of the Institute of Engineering and Technology Design and Manufacturing Policy Panel and an IEEE Tech Ethics Ambassador, advising professional institutes on their engagement with industry and academia in emerging markets. Florian is passionate about diversity, inclusion, equity and youth engagement in STEM. She founded and led the Warwick's Women's Engineering Society, is a Royal Academy of Engineering Leaders Scholar and regular science communicator. She is a charity trustee for STEMET Futures as well as a chairperson of the STEMET Futures Youth Board. She holds a first-class B.Eng. in Manufacturing and Mechanical Engineering from the University of Warwick. Hi, Florian, and welcome to Engineering Success. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you. Can we start right at the very beginning? How did you first become interested in engineering? Yes, um, I love this question because... Um, I can pin it to the very exact moment when I was in the D&T classroom with my design technology teacher, who I'm still in contact with today. Um, I was maybe in year seven and we were designing a sustainable sports centre because it was wow. around 2012 Olympics time. And we were kind of asked to design our version of like Fairlock Water Sports Centre. Um, and just being able to go from a concept, an idea in my head to having a full size model. It wasn't a very good model, but it was a, it was a pretty <laughs> good one for a first try. Yeah. Um, I really loved that process of designing, researching, like calculating the maths and figuring out how big it needed to be, how to create a scale model of the real building. Um, that's when I really, really got interested in engineering and understanding that um, 
it's the type of career that you can get into where you're trying to tackle some of society's biggest challenges. And at the time it was around, let's have a sports centre to celebrate the Olympics, but it needs to be sustainable. It needs to be um, fit into the natural habitats. It needs to be able to take into account the biodiversity of fair waters in that particular area. Um, and these are things I've just always cared about in life. Um, yeah. yeah, that was really amazing. And then um, being able to compete in the National Science and Engineering Competition, um, which is now the Big Bang Fair, um, yeah. and going through that, meeting a bunch of um, STEM ambassadors and role models, a lot of who I'm in contact with still today. That is pretty much why I went into engineering, because it was like maths, physics, DT, all together, <laughs> society's problems, and really cool people doing it already. It just, yeah, it made a lot of sense. Brilliant story, yeah. Sounds like you had a brilliant school as well to do that sort of project. I had a really fantastic design and technology department, like first class. I still talk to them today. We still do stuff together. Um, yeah, they. I really owe them a lot. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so, so then, what route did you take into into your engineering career? Yeah. So I went um, to university. So did my GCSEs. Really enjoyed them. Decided actually for A level, I wanted to do maths, physics, chemistry, and then further maths AS level. So up to the end of year 12. Um, so did my A-levels, did okay. They weren't exactly the grades I was looking for. So I actually went into clearing, um, but yeah. I really like telling this story because now I look back, I'm really glad I went to Warwick. And even though it's not my first, it wasn't my first choice to university at the time of applying. Now I can't imagine going anywhere else yeah. um, uh, because I just learned so much, made so many connections with industry. Um, yeah, really wouldn't have been able to go into manufacturing if I hadn't done, been to right. Warwick because they're one of the few people who offer manufacturing as an, as an engineering course. Um, so yeah, did the three-year degree and then actually did an industrial placement because right. um, I wanted to get some experience before finishing uni and then going off into the world of work. Um, it also originally was going to be a five-year degree, so I wanted to extend my time at university <laughs> and having to go into the world of work. Um, yeah. But actually, at the end of my industrial placement year, decided that, you know what, I loved working so much that I wasn't going to go back to university. I was going to graduate with a bachelor's. Um, so did that a couple of years ago and then went straight into industry and straight into working. Amazing. Yeah, brilliant. So so your journey to your present present position uh, of a policy consultant is amazing. I know we spoke, we spoke before about it because uh, you actually started in uh, manufacturing as, uh, and a mechanical engineer. Can you share that journey with us? Yeah, definitely. Um so a big part of the the kind of science, sorry, the big part of the STEM club work that I did um, with my design and technology department opened a lot of doors for me. So I ended up doing um, quite a lot of youth panel work, actually, right. throughout school. Um, and the youth panel work was interesting because with the British Science Association, the Royal Society and other organisations, we were talking about the future of work for young people, challenges yeah. around getting more young people into engineering. How do we diversify engineering as a, as um a career and as an industry and all of these questions were kind of things that I had been aware of because of what I had experienced trying to get into engineering but also um weren't part of the core subjects that I was studying like we yeah. didn't talk about sociology and the reasons why people choose particular careers and jobs whilst doing physics um so I had always been interested in this policy area and around like how can government professional institutes trade bodies teachers parents carers have an impact on the choices that young people make and then how does that impact the world as we see it um so a big part of what I did outside of the university is kind of like a extracurricular if you will 
was yeah. trying to get into the world of policy, speaking at different types of events, talking to people with policy expertise, writing some stuff. I had a go at writing some articles and some essays. Right. Some of them are in the depths of the internet because they're not great. Others <laughs> 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 are a lot better. Um, so yeah, but but when I did my um, industrial placement and I did the couple of months at GSK, um, I could see firsthand directly like policy decisions like Brexit, the challenges around trade, climate change, COVID-19, all of these policy decisions were affecting how businesses operated. Yeah. Um, so as I was going through it and like working as an engineer, I was kind of like, the policy side is actually really important and it's actually having a really big impact. And yeah. there's no one in policy that I can see who has like a STEM, STEM background potentially, who has worked in the field potentially, or who yeah. has first-hand experience, lived experience to be able to say like, actually these are the, the effects of the policy decisions that politicians make. Um, so after doing those couple of months at, at GSK, I got offered um, a job at a public policy think tank. Right. Uh, and it was completely up, like I had never considered working in a think tank before. Um, but when the job came up, it was around manufacturing, it was about data, it was about AI, it was about design and innovation and creative industries. And I was just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like I love yeah. this stuff. Um, so yeah, like took took the job, no question, um, really. Like it was a no-brainer for me. Um yeah. and then spent 18 months running that team, and that was really good fun. Like we um we ran events, we wrote briefings, we spoke to MPs, ministers, um, and the spectrum of like topics that we covered was really broad um we talked about kind of climate change and transition to net zero and cop 26 and obviously cop 27 has happened now yeah 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 um, but we we spanned from that all the way to like energy intensives and the challenges around energy pricing crisis for industry down to like well how do we actually get art and design into policy how do we get people to understand the value of the arts and design sectors and their impact on r d and innovation in the uk and um, so yeah it was a really fantastic job um and then I decided, actually, I want to be one of the people who helps to deliver those policies and helps to, to get government moving. Um, yeah. So now where I am, we're all about problem solving and working with the defence and national security sectors um, and helping government to speed their acquisition of technology. Um, and so that's still in the same same realm, but slightly different work. Yeah, also. yeah. Yeah, no, I just love that story of, you know, being an engineer and then going into something that I, I would never even have thought about, you know, where your skill set could be used. It, it shows the enormous breadth of, of engineering, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I mean, like a lot of people ask me, like, why would you even take that job? But for me, the skill sets were so similar in terms of you have to be able to communicate. You have to yeah, be able yeah. to understand this broad range of people because we were talking to academics politicians people in industry like yeah a broad range of people who have their different common languages and you have to be able to pull that information together pull out the evidence and then come up with recommendations um and policies that you think kind of synthesize all that information that you're collecting engineers yeah. do that day-to-day -day basis if you're going into the in the factory floor you might have a stand-up meeting in the morning to understand like what's happened the night before what yeah. are all the what all the defects you've got production talking to you, you've got engineering talking to you you've got logistics talking to you all these people and then you have to be the person who makes <laughs> okay we're going to do this today so like the, the, there are so many parallels in it um yeah yeah you don't find a lot of people with stem backgrounds in policy which is something i definitely want to change yeah and i think it does need to change doesn't it because like you say that skill uh the engineering skill is extremely important to have that knowledge to be able to help set these policies yeah absolutely yeah.
So, so how do you then think we can try and infuse the next generation into engineering? Yeah, um, so I think the, the, the biggest thing for us to recognise now is that the world as we see it is changing and changing really fast. Yeah. And young people are central to that. They're seeing, the, you know, the next digital revolution as we speak. Like, I think about TikTok and I just think it's another version of Vine. And then I'm talking to young people and they're like, no, it's a search engine for me. Like, that's where I go to find information. So right, really, yeah. they're using digital technology is so different to how we would have used it. Yeah. Um, I think climate change and the challenges around global warming are on the front of their minds because they're thinking about what's the world going to look like in 20, 30 years for me. Um, They're also thinking about tech ethics and kind of the impact of algorithms and AI creating portraits and videos and music and are the robots going to take over the world? So I think um, all of these topics, the reason why I mention them is because central to them, alongside the anthropology and sociology and understanding human behaviors is the engineering are the it's it's the people who are creating these technologies who are developing them who are selling them out there they're pivotal to it and i think that's a really good way for us to to go out to the younger generation of of future engineers and say look engineering is not just about being on a factory floor or being in a factory with loads of chimneys and like dust everywhere (laughs) it's so much broader than that you could be working on quantum commuting you could be working on resilient engineering you could be working on um the future of energy generation in power plants in carbon capture storage in hydrogen plants like there's so many opportunities out there for them that are directly linked to the causes that they care about and i think you need to amp that connection up um because that's partially going back to the first question you asked asked me that's partially why i got into engineering yeah 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 i could change this world (laughs) yes and i think you want young people to feel that way when they're going into it um so we definitely need to do that we need to be more open and recognize that um equity is such an important part of just societal reform in terms of making sure that people from underrepresented backgrounds um, have the same opportunities, not even just the same opportunities, are given the tools needed to succeed in the same way as someone who doesn't have those disadvantages. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to recognise what those are and become more proactive as an industry to do that. Um, and I think I'm, we're starting to see so much work around diversity and inclusion, and it's really encouraging. Um, but I urge companies especially to think about not just diversity and inclusion, because you get people in the door, if your culture's not great, they're going to leave anyway. Yeah, again. The equity and inclusion piece about keeping them there, about pushing them forward, about helping them to to make their way through the industry and through their career. Um, And that's definitely going to be a really key part of of the next generation of talent. And and also just alternative routes, because some people don't want to go to university. Absolutely. I see so many young people going into degree apprenticeships and apprenticeships now. There's loads of stuff government is doing with the apprenticeship levy, um, organisations wanting to reform it so it works better for them um there's also a lot around kind of t levels and the alternatives to a levels for people who want to do vocational training yeah we need to change the way we think about training and and education for engineering it going to university is not the only way to do it and it's not the best way to do it actually there are other ways to become an engineer that are just as valid Um, and i think that's a big part of what we need to do because that's how you open up doors to people who might not love academic books but could be the next einstein the next faraday (laughs) absolutely Joanne Day and Anne-Marie and all the other fantastic engineers that that we like to talk about. So, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So so then what would your number one piece of advice be for somebody thinking about a career in engineering? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one thing the UK has is a really fantastic informal STEM learning community of organisations who, who offer really amazing courses. Yeah. So quick plug, STEMETS is obviously a number one, but there's inter-research, there's STEM ambassadors, there's Nuffield Research Placements, um, British Science Association, there, there are so many out, there's so many things out there, the Engineering Development Trust, um, the Engineering Education Scheme, all these organisations that offer, for the most part, free courses for young people to yeah. go and do a taster at a university, to go and do a six-week research placement with um, a research organisation on an engineering project, to have an opportunity to be in a lab and see what that's like. Yeah. Um, and engineering is about doing so we learn the theory but a big part of it of it is do is the doing and if you're not someone who wants to work for those organizations that's fine find yourself a project go and do you know get yourself a 3d printer or build yourself a 3d printer yeah yeah think about things that you could do in and around the house or something you've always wanted see, see if you can go and code that or build it or make it and i think yeah. that's a really common characteristic for a lot of engineers that we all turn around and like yeah i wanted this thing and i just I just built it. And thought about it. Design it. Yeah, and we and we always get. I think that's always a bit intimidating sometimes because you're kind of like, how did that person even go about it? But it's about trial and error, and it's about yeah. doing that, failing quickly and learning fast. Yeah. Um, and I think in order to do that, you can either do it at home or you can do it with the help of those organisations. But that is a really key part about being for, of being a good engineer, being comfortable to to fail and learn quick, and yeah. being you know, independent enough to go and try something because you yeah. to see a difference and you want to see something change. Yeah, yeah. And it's taking that first step, isn't it? Yes. You know, because that's yeah. the scariest bit, that first step. Once you get into it, it's not as scary as you thought. And like you say, you fail and then you succeed and you fail again. And Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the first ever time I put IKEA furniture together, absolute disaster. <laughs> yeah. Absolute pro. Get me on it. Do it again. So I think it's that thing of like you just you just need to go and have a go. And I think um for for engineering, it can be the physical, mechanical stuff, but it can also just be going and learning a coding language. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like SQL, like Java, like all of these languages that are being used in industry, it's never too early to learn. Yeah, yeah. So so you mentioned it before. I mean, you are the chairperson of uh Stemet Future Youth Board and a trustee of Stemet Futures. Can you explain a little bit more about what those roles entail? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Stemet Futures is a really fantastic charity and organisation um, that works to increase gender representation across STEAM. Um, so science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. Yeah. Um, so we work with um, young people, young women and non-binary people from the ages of six to 25 across a number of programmes, mentoring events, hackathons, leadership academy certifications, um, it is pretty endless, the offering across the UK. Um, and the the main reason why it was set up by Dr. Anne-Marie Maffedon, our founder, is because she wanted to see more young women and non-binary people in the sector doing their thing because they've had the mentors and the confidence. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. And they've had the exposure to it and they part it and they form a mass, they form a big part of the informal STEM learning environment that I've just referred to. Um so yeah, so I've been a member of well, I've been part of the organization for for a long time now, about seven, eight years. Um yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> <laughs> about seven, eight years. So the 
one of the programs that was recently set up was the youth boards um and i had been on a couple of youth boards and panels as a youngster i say youngster yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when it came up that we wanted to start that i applied and kind of got the position as chairperson um but what i think is really fantastic about the organization is that they recognize there needs to be a link between the youth equity voice and kind of what we do to amplify our beneficiaries' voices. Yeah. Also the trustees who steer the direction of the organization and who give advice to the senior leaders and the exec instead yeah, of yeah, yeah. About, like what do we do next and and governance, all that stuff. So I'm almost that link between the two in both the roles. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Um so chairperson for the first year was very much figuring out what is a youth board for STEM futures? What does that look like? How many people are we going to have on it? Um, we did a lot of recruiting. We've wow. now got 18 really fantastic members. Like I'm wow. genuinely so impressed by the caliber of young people that we have on our youth board. They're fantastic. Um, we've got previous young scientists of the year, people who've worked with NATO, people who've worked with Young Scientist Journal, wow. people who are studying and doing apprenticeships in engineering and technology. Um, like the breadth, and they're across the UK. It's really a fantastic group of, of young people to work with. Um, so, yeah, the first year was figuring out what do we do? Who are the people on the youth board? <laughs> and now that we're in the second year, we're all about um, ambassadorship, helping to um, kind of give a steer and directional strategy. So they give loads of advice um, to our staff and to our trustees about different types of topics. Um, and they're also getting stuck in and doing stuff of their own volition, which is what I love, like going out, doing stores talks, yeah. making decisions with businesses, um, writing kind of funding grants and stuff. So they're really doing amazing work. Uh, so I'm just that person who's like, go go forth and have <laughs> If you've got any questions, come to me. Um, but I know it's not needed realistically. Um, but yeah, that 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 is the the majority of what I and I end up doing with STEMET. Yeah, amazing. So so what myths would you like to dispel about engineering? Ooh, so many. <laughs> um I think a big one is that when you say engineer like when you say engineering or mechanical engineering, people don't necessarily know what that means. And I think yeah. there's also a running joke around do engineers even know what engineering is? Um and I think part of the problem is that it covers so much that it's almost really hard for us to to define. Yeah. Um, but I, what I do want to dispel as a myth is that engineering is like a set practice that if you're a mechanical engineer, you go and you fix cars or you go work on a factory and that's it. Um, yeah, yeah. The engineering role models that are out there show that it's such a diverse and vibrant industry where you could be working on robotics, you could be working on energy, you could be working on tech and computing and infrastructure, you could yeah. be working bridges and buildings and then you could be working on farming and agriculture and you know like the breadth of engineers that I've spoken to some people have really niche um expertise and understanding of software engineering to like the yeah. entry like they're the people writing the algorithms to the other end of people who are looking at like the management of factories or multiple factories and they're actually doing more like logistics and people management and change management stuff yeah um, yeah so that's my biggest myth the other one is that it's dirty it's really not <laughs> I actually think most I mean some places will be a little bit dirty because of the nature of where they are yeah but yeah it was like super clean we called it a good manufacturing <laughs> environment like you could lick the floor if you really wanted to be that that clean um yeah. so yeah that would be the two key things 
<laughs> so so then how do you think engineering can better promote itself? Um, it's a really interesting question that I think a lot of professional institutes um, like the IET, like IEEE, are really starting to think about um, in a bit more depth. Um, the Royal Academy of Engineering um, does a really do, do really amazing programs called This Is Engineering and the Queen Elizabeth Ambassadors. Um, yeah. It's all about kind of raising the profile of people in engineering who are doing cool stuff. Um, STEMETs and other organizations like Girls Who Code and whatnot, they're also doing amazing stuff by raising the profile of role models and engineers that we might never have heard of. Yeah. So I was recently at a talk that Amory did and she kind of highlighted loads of female engineers that people should know um, who founded really important stuff. And I think that's a key part of what we need to do. Um, so when you say engineers, people usually talk about like Brunel, Faraday, but actually there's some yeah. really good people out there. Um, then I think the other part is about going into schools and building those long-term connections as a STEM ambassador. So I think anyone who is a STEM ambassador, you're doing really important work my first ever engineering role models were STEM ambassadors who came into my school. I go yeah. into schools now and I do long-term mentoring with people. And then I see them going to do engineering and coming to me for questions about personal statements and like what university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a knock-on direct effect. Um, and I think we need to be facilitating, especially companies to, to give um, their employees that volunteering time off to go and do that important work. Yeah. Because it, it, in the day or at the time of, of making that decision, it might feel like you're losing profitable time because people are going off to volunteer. But I think actually most people don't have that perception. But even if you did, if you're yeah. thinking long, long term, that's actually potentially creating a whole pipeline of talent to come into yeah. your position. And the one thing I heard whilst I was at the policy policy job is companies are desperate for people with skills, desperate yeah. with engineering skills, particularly kind of level three technician level four engineering type type yeah. roles that's not going to come from the group of engineers we have already like we've exhausted <laughs> yeah we're all here it's yeah. the young people we need to focus on um so i think we definitely need to do a lot more to kind of make it seem exciting and make it seem future focused on the things that young people care about also we need to be giving young people really clear pathways and role models so they can say yeah. that looks like something i could do yeah yeah absolutely agree with that yeah so so what do you think are the biggest challenges ahead the biggest challenges for engineering is i think global warming and con and consistent being consistently resilient to disruption whether that's yeah. um material supply chain challenges logistical supply chain challenges big parts of that will be reducing our fossil fuel use and dependency other parts of it will be increasing material availability reducing our uses of plastic um, being more sustainable in construction in terms of how we use steel and concrete and all of these coral materials. Yeah. Um, not all of those solutions are clear to us right now. So there's lots of work happening in R&D and academia about it. And a big part will be jumping the gap. So these ideas that are researched become physical products. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a massive part. Um, and that's a big challenge, not just for engineering, but for government, for private sectors, for... Um, the whole community to understand, okay, what do we invest in skills-wise, tech-wise, availability-wise, material-wise, in yeah. order to tackle some of the bigger challenges. And we need to get real with ourselves. We need to be really honest about we're running out of time very, very quickly. Yeah. And we need to start 
being quite radical in how we change our practices and engineering is a really good place to do that and to lead the charge yeah yeah so um have you had any mentors who have helped you uh, in your career and continue to help you along your journey yes so many so many mentors um, <laughs> i think the biggest part of a successful engineer steam professional is um genuinely having a community around you and that's something i've been really lucky to have yeah. having a community around me and i think a lot of the mentors i've had have been on your podcast so Nikkei Fulayan, who founded AFBE, um, Yawande Akinola, she was the first STEM ambassador I ever met. And there's a picture of us in like 2012 in Hebrew. <laughs> She's showing me my, my STEM engineering drawing and giving me pointers on it. And then right. there's us 10 years later um, at an event or something. Um, obviously, Anne-Marie Mapidon, who founded STEMETS and kind of that whole STEMETS team, like they're such a fantastic group of people to work yeah, with. Yeah. Really important work. Um, my design and technology teachers, so Miss Russell, Miss Riley, shout out to you guys. <laughs> um, they, yeah, really kind of phenomenal, powerful women who do such amazing work. Um, yeah. yeah, the Broma Agrawal who who worked on the shot. Like there are just so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Singel who does loads of amazing stuff. Um, and kind of Diageo, and then a couple of other organisations. Um, I think I could go on. I'm really sorry to go on anyone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, those those kind of role models, my siblings, my mum, they're all people who have, you know, have had plans and have had things that they've wanted to achieve yeah. and have gone out and done it. Yeah. And um, some of it, not engineering, some of it engineering related. And I think for me, that sets the bar in terms of if there is something, if you set your mind to it and you work to it um, and you build a community of people who can support you through the challenges, I don't think there's very there very much you can't do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good answer. So so then how do you keep yourself motivated? Ooh, um I actually think it's by taking breaks and right. healthcare. Um and I think we should be more honest about this in engineering. It's a really tough industry sometimes, like you're working really hard all the time and you're always yeah. focused on the big picture and what you're trying to achieve. Um, but actually it's really important to just take the time sometimes to just disconnect, go and do something. Good, back yeah. So for me, it's going and traveling, going and seeing family, right. yeah. um, shutting the laptop, going to a concert, <laughs> you know, going to see friends. Like that's what keeps you motivating. You know, seeing the people that I love around me, yeah. doing things that I love outside of engineering. Um, cause that tops, fuels the soul, I think, to, to go and do the, the work you really care about. And I think um self-care and looking after your mental health is such an important part yeah it's a great answer so who's been your biggest inspiration Ooh. um i think um recently my biggest inspiration has been um miss russell my dt teacher she's she's right in my answers but only because um she's coming up to retirement now and we're starting to look back and think about okay what what how many people do you think miss russell has had an impact on yeah yeah <laughs> I started to think about it and we were like the number is getting bigger and bigger and it's not, <laughs> not stopping um i think through everything she's been really really amazing at just a single-minded focus on every girl that goes through this DT classroom is going to get exposure to STEM, is going to have an opportunity to decide whether it's for them or not. 
yeah never may having that chance to make the decision um she's always been there to make sure it's fun that we're safe because you yeah. know 16 year old girls with drills and stuff can <laughs> yeah. um, um but she's she's always there to she yeah she's my one of my biggest inspirations i think in terms of um the impact that she's had on her community the drive with which she's pursued that mission um and the lasting legacy that she's going to have even when she leaves yeah yeah and retires and I'm, even when she retires i think she'll be busy and popping and, and yeah <laughs> yeah so um so why do you feel that there has been a skill shortage in engineering um so i think a big part of the the skill shortage is that um we've hired from a very like singular group of people for a very long time yeah and parts of the factors when you start to look at the data around why there's a skills shortage is an aging workforce. So there's a bunch of people who've done their time, who are experts in their field, yeah. who are retiring soon to go spend time with family and do all the cool stuff you do when you retire. Um, <laughs> and they're leaving and they're taking their knowledge and their expertise with them. So there's yeah. no transfer between what they're what they know and what they can do to the younger people. I mean, there is, but they're not enough. So yeah. you've got more people leaving than there are coming in. Yeah. So the reason why they're leaving, like we've covered that, the reason why people aren't necessarily coming in is because um, they don't necessarily think it's for them. Yeah. Um, so perception of engineering is a big one. Um, people don't necessarily understand the opportunities that are in the engineering sector. Um, and if you're someone who has a really specific um, focus on arts and design for example you might not necessarily see the direct link between arts and design and engineering but then actually there's things called there are vfx engineers there are sound engineers there are yeah. people working creative industries who are engineers and that's why steam is such an important part of it now yeah yeah it doesn't make sense to delineate the two and we've done that for a very long time we do that to young people in the in the education system now in terms yeah, of we do if you're smart and academic you're probably going to get pushed into doing history, English, literature, all of that stuff, or you're going to get pushed into doing science and maths and yeah. biology history. But if you're someone who straddles the line and enjoys both, you're being forced to make a, a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we also still make it too acceptable for people to say they're not good at maths and science. I hate that when people say, I'm not good at maths. <laughs> well, you're not good at school maths and science. Yeah, no. yeah. Maths and science is not the maths and science that you use in industry. It's not the maths and science that makes the impact and on technology and the societal changes that we that we look to see. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's a really big part. We need to dispel that people. Everyone is good at maths and science if you're in the right place, learning the right thing. Absolutely. Um, and I think the other part is um the careers advice and guidance. Like we've um well under this government, the notoriously underfunded careers advice and guidance services yeah. and schools so that means young people are not getting the information that they need to make informed decisions about their careers yeah um and you know i think for a lot of people if you were to go for something that's stable it's law it's medicine it's accounting it's, yeah. it's these traditional um jobs and roles that you can see and that you can are visible that you see in tv shows that yeah you see yeah you know what a lawyer does, you know what a teacher does, you know what um, um, an accountant does. Do you know what an engineer does? No. <laughs> not. Big Bang Theory doesn't necessarily lend itself well to like a diverse group of people in terms of being attractive as as, as a sector. Um, so there's a couple of challenges for us to face, but I think it's one that 
can be tackled if we bring together industry, government, academia, parents, carers, yeah, yeah, advisors, all of these people working together. And there is loads of work happening in the background with loads yes. of institutions who I've yeah. seen, I've worked with, who are doing that really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, there is, yeah, yeah. So, so it's important to continually develop yourself as an engineer. Yeah. How do you develop yourself? Yeah, amazing question. I love going to webinars and seminars and just listening to experts talk about things that they care about because right. it's so interesting. Um, so the, not an ad, but Financial Times do really good live events. Um, right. So I've done one yesterday about accelerating industrial sustainability through the Intelligent Edge. Um, they do loads of really cool stuff. Um, your professional institutes, if you're registered with one, also run events. So IET, Royal Academy of Engineering, ICE, IMECI, they all run live and in-person events, actually, on really yeah. cool events. Yeah. So I'm waiting for a few coming up in next year. Um, Coursera and all of these like micro-credentials and like LinkedIn learning courses are amazing. Yeah. Um, I recently did a micro-credential on Scrum at Scale training, which is like a type of agile project management. Yeah. Um, I'm currently learning about like Lean Six Sigma for data analysis, which is right. kind of very different, but like yeah, Lean yeah. Six Sigma is like a core manufacturing technique. Um, so I think those a lot of those courses are free also, which is really important. Um, books and podcasts. I love a good podcast. I actually really love history podcasts. Right. Because I feel like a big part of being a good STEM professional is being well-rounded. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously this podcast is a really important. Oh, one. thank you. <laughs> but there's also Haley Lauren, who does really amazing like um Haley Lauren coaching for engineering. Yes, yes, does good podcasts. Huh? Yeah, she does such such amazing stuff around like pivoting, switching, being yeah. fearless, fearless careers is her program. Um I also really like You're Dead to Me, which is a history podcast. All right. <laughs> it's all about alternative history that we don't learn in school. Um and there's another really good one that I've learned that I've been listening to recently on BBC Sounds called Lady Killers. And it's all about female right. dresses and the sociology and criminology behind their behaviours and, and all of that good stuff. Um, right. So I think, yeah, quite quite a diverse. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's going to keep you busy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and finally, uh, looking forward, what does the future hold for you? Ooh, it's a really good question. Um, I think I definitely still want to be working in the domain that I'm working in. So yeah. tech, science, engineering, emerging technologies in particular. I love talking about the future, about net zero, about AI, like all of these emerging technologies and industry 4.0 that we refer to. Definitely want to be working in that domain, whether it's informing the policies around it or actually working on the tech itself. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm right. not yet made a decision um one thing I'm really comfortable with though is knowing that I don't necessarily know what I'm going to be doing in five years time <laughs> yeah. but, but trusting that I have a really good community of people around me who will help me make the right decisions yeah trusting that I know what I love and I'm pursuing that and I'm doing what I think I was meant to do yeah um, I think a big part of the future is supporting STEMettes they're turning 10 next year and maybe five years time they'll be turning 15 um yeah I think also maybe traveling as well and seeing engineering in loads of different contexts and loads of different um, countries will be a really important part of my journey. Um, but yeah, exciting times. Yeah. Uh, Florian, that's it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been brilliant to have you. 
Thank you so much, Jamie. I've had so much good fun and yeah, really fantastic questions. Okay, thank you for listening to episode number 35 of Engineering Success and a huge thank you to Florian for being such an amazing guest. It was great to speak to Florian about her fantastic career journey from manufacturing engineer to policy consultant. This just highlights the amazing careers and opportunities available within the engineering sector. Florian is an amazing engineer who works tirelessly to promote engineering and is a brilliant role model for so many young people entering the engineering industry. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. We've got some more amazing guests coming soon. So, have a great day and I hope you succeed in all you do.